Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Welcome to Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan, and this episode is brought to you by patrons David Dempsey-Tapley and Evelyn Belasco. Today we have Sarah Adina Smith on. She's a director that's directed some awesome movies, and a bunch of TV shows that hopefully you've heard of. FX's Legion. She directed uh, HBO's Room 104. She just did the pilot for Hannah for Amazon Prime in Romania. I mean, pretty sick freaking resume. Pretty awesome resume. But her roots are deep, deep in the indie world. She started making a micro-budget feature that launched into a moderately budgeted feature and then segued into television. So she is the indie dream come true in many ways she had a long road to get there she had a lot of struggles that she'll talk about with us on the show um, and now also the finer points of enjoying a tv career finally yeah i think both of our favorite parts is just how many times she failed and how many times she got rejected by film festivals and kept going which hopefully is like a little bit of what the heart of this podcast is which is it's not easy for anyone but everyone that's very hardworking seems to get somewhere yeah, and she got there. And since we had such an awesome conversation with Sarah Dina Smith, we decided to forego our catch up once again, but we'll get back to it soon. But before we get to our conversation with her, Orin, tell me about our Patreon page. Yeah, our Patreon page is patreon.com slash just shoot it pod. It is a place where if you listen to this podcast, let's say you've listened to every episode, half the episodes, 10 episodes, and you feel like you're getting something out of it, it's helping uh, convince you to move to Hollywood and try to become a big film director or you just like like to make fun of us or our weird speech patterns then uh check it out because you can uh help us make this podcast and keep going forever on patreon you can give some money to us a dollar a month two dollars a month whatever you want and we will use that money to pay our editors put on live events like the live event that we just broadcast recently and it just really helps us keep going so check it out patreon.com slash just shoot it pod Great, Orn. Let's hop into our conversation with Sarah Adina Smith. Okay, <laughs> we are right. here with Sarah Adina Smith. Hello, Sarah. Hi, guys. Do you, is it true that you demand everyone call you by all, all three, three names? names all the time? Yep. ATN. Even my parents, even my family. Really? Yeah. No. Okay. I, I do have like name anxiety. 
I don't like being a three-name person. Yeah, Sarah Smith is. I a didn't want to be a three-name person. Yeah, I didn't want to be. How'd you end up person. being a TN? Because I'm named Sarah Smith, and like it, that is, it's real tough to, to develop a name for yourself. <laughs> to brand yourself. <laughs> yeah. Do you come from a family of blacksmiths? Yes, actually, in Russia, oh, like yeah. straight up Jewish blacksmiths who like somehow got the name yeah. Smith. I mean, I there's a lot of Jews in the anvil business. Yeah, seems like I feel like seems like there would be. I actually feel, have a lot of pride of, about coming from blacksmiths because it, it feels in some ways as if it was like related to some ancient magic or alchemy. Mm-hmm. That's what I like to think. Yeah, I mean, I, you are like bending I've, metal with a hammer, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, I mean, this is based more on impressive like, if you do it with your mind. Like <laughs> yeah. uh, Uri Geller, do you guys know who he is? Mm. Famous Israeli mentalist. I've been like obsessed with mentalists recently. Do you know who Lior Suchard is? No. Oh, he's going to be my unpaid endorsement. Just wait. Anyway, Sarah, you're a director. I am. Um, Sarah, walk us through um, the lightning round of all of your awesome credits real quick. Oh, that sounds awful. Okay, I'll do it. Um, so uh, Midnight Swim was your debut feature. Yeah. Right? Um, and then you were part of an anthology called? Holidays. Holidays. And then Buster's Mouth Heart. And I'm not related to Kevin Smith. I, people ask me that <laughs> gotcha. sometimes. <laughs> I was going to tell you to tell him hi and how proud I am of him, but um, that's fine. <laughs> I wish I could. Never met him. <laughs> um, Midnight Swim, Holidays, uh, was, which was an anthology, and then Buster's Mouth Heart. Mm-hmm. And then you made the leap into television and you did... Room 104, and then a show called Wrecked, and then a show called Legion. And I just finished directing a couple of episodes of a new show for Amazon called Hannah. Right, so the... Uh, you only do one word named show. Yeah, you only do one oh. word named show. Oh, so Room 104, Room 104. HBO, way to have a nice... One um, <laughs> and a number. Nice uh, uh, little debut there on TV. And yeah, then, I just slid right into HBO. Yeah. I was like, I'm going <laughs> to do like, TV. Yeah. I'm gonna do what I'm going to do the is... The just the best stuff. And then Wrecked, that's the... Um, it's the a TBS. TBS show. That's yeah. like Ginger Comedy. Gonzaga and um, this Crashing Guy. Um, George Basil? Oh, George yes, Basil. He's Basil. a good friend. I literally just saw him last night. We had oh. dinner with George Basil. Um, he has a short film he's finishing now that I helped edit for Oh, him. awesome. Oh, yeah. cool. And he lives around here. I yeah, see him. exactly. Very funny George man. George Basil's like family. Um, and then Amazon Prime. So you, you just get to do all the good stuff, basically. Oh, so, FX. I, yeah. I forgot. Legion is on FX. Yeah. So, cool. Um, you should check out lucky. like AMC maybe. Yeah. Like, Have you heard cool. of the E Network? Yeah. They're doing some scripted <laughs> stuff now. Are they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wrecked is a, is a comedy. Wrecked is a comedy. Do you not think of yourself as funny? I don't know why they hired me for that job all the way. I mean, I, I, have, I like to laugh. Yeah. I enjoy laughter. Often I don't like you were funny as well. Thank you were you. quippy. I'm I would quippy. Say. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm a comedy director per se. I think I um, I had a really great time doing those episodes, and I, I feel proud of those episodes. But I don't know. That's not where my maybe where my passion lies per se. Mm-hmm. I like dark comedy and like sort of twisted absurdist comedy mm-hmm. a lot. I but guess. I don't know that I'm like br- as much into maybe broad or sort of comedy with a capital C. Sure, comedy. that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I always yeah. I thought it was a K. Um, see? Is uh, see what I'm no, up against? But do you think that you approach directing comedy totally different than like a Legion? In the case of Wrecked or Legion, I'm a 
kind of as a director, you're a guest artist on someone else's show. And so um, you're really wanting to do service to the showrunner's vision on those shows. So with Wrecked, um, it was really important to get a bunch of coverage and a bunch of funny options to have in the edit room, which is very different than like how Noah Hawley approaches Legion, which is really like um, let the camera tell the story, try lots of weird and crazy and fun things cinematically, um, which may mean that you don't do any coverage um, in the scene because you're going to try something so ambitious that really like you either get it or you don't, which is great. Um, what a, what a wild spread like to, to do them. Yeah. Yeah. But like the, I, I kind of, I think I live more in the world of like, I've shot a hell of a lot of cross coverage with two cameras mm-hmm. and like throwing alts at people. Mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Which is good fun. It's sure. really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it is a different sort of filmmaking. Um, and so I think that I found a lot of comfort in that. And th- I, I feel like, oh man, I'm so bummed that like it doesn't look more interesting as a result. And the way mm-hmm. that you do that is you f- shoot a single camera and like actually move it totally. and commit to those choices. Totally. I tried right? to do as much as I could with my erect episodes to give it a little bit of a sort of cinematic flavor and point of view, but also wanted to do right by the guys and make sure that I got all their right. all their funny. Well, let, let's let's go a little bit further back. Let's start at the beginning. Um, how did you get your? Tell us about your first feature. So the Midnight Swim came about through despair and failure because... <laughs> we like this, don't yeah. uh, I Because I had been trying to make a feature for like seven years and kept trying to make it the way I thought you should make it, which is to raise a bunch of money and attach actors, big actors. And, um, and you had a script that you wrote. Yes. You went to film school. Didn't you, go to film school. Oh, didn't you go to Columbia? I went for philosophy. Oh. Yeah. How far back do you guys want to go? No, I also have a non-film degree, so I like it. Nice. So I had had tried to make a a couple of scripts the more traditional way and Mm -hmm. just like kept running into walls over and over again, or I would get really close and then be super disappointed. And um, the... I had my heart really broken at some point where we thought we were much more sure we were going to go and like the day the money was supposed to like hit the bank, it just didn't. And, um, so you're on set and you're like, um, (laughs) how much, luckily we weren't all the way on set, but we had like truly begun pre-production in earnest Mm -hmm. and, and had hired people we needed to pay. And it was like really awful. Um, and so, and when you say we had teamed up with a producer or something, my two producers at the time, um, and they're just friends that you found somewhere, but they're also legitimate producers but like no but but were they like at your level or were they like oh i submitted my script to the competition and i attached these producers like were they people that could make things happen that you couldn't make happen on your own um i would say they were peers mm-hmm. um one of whom had made um a bunch of movies and one of whom had made a couple um but we were pretty much peers. It wasn't like producers who were like, yeah, let me just call up Tom Cruise and see what sure. he's doing. It wasn't yeah. like that kind right. of person. So the money fell through and then I like was surprised by the intensity of my depression after that time mm-hmm. where like I just like, didn't actually want to get out of bed. I've been trying so hard for so long and just really felt like there were like doors just kept slamming in sure. my face. So yeah, I can um, only imagine. Yeah. And I had to make the best of what was a shitty situation, which was like, we have spent some money. Like, I need to go 
make something. We're so far down the road um, with this thing. So I was like, well, maybe I'll go make another short, you know? Mm-hmm. And then luckily... And had uh, you made shorts at this point? Yeah, I had made shorts. So you just, you moved to LA, you wanted to work in film, you made some shorts, and then you had, you were trying to get this feature off the ground. Yeah, that sounds quicker than it was. Sure, sure. Over the course of seven, <laughs> seven years, years, basically. Yeah, and yeah. like, just like spiraling amounts of debt and like right. other jobs, you know, I also like had to pay rents, so like other, I was like, I started a graphic design company and like was doing other things to try and make movies, but. Um, right. I have, uh, I tell this story a lot, but I have these two friends that were like literally taking headshots and trying to make like YouTube videos on the side for people. And they ended up starting this company, Maker Studios. Oh, fuck off. Selling it for, yeah. But that, it was like, they're like, we're trying to write and direct and act in things, but no one is hiring us. So let's just do this on the side. That's amazing. What a good story that is. Your graphic design firm could have been. Could have been that. Yeah. I mean, we are. graphic design company to Disney? Yeah, we are <laughs> Pixar. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's called it, yeah. Coco, have you heard of it? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I'm very proud of our graphic design company, and um, but it was never like my, my dream. Right, it right. was supporting my dream. Um, we also like ran a green screen studio for a couple of years, which mm-hmm. was like a bad idea because it was like we thought we would just like supplement our income in a more passively right. versus, you know, because it also running graphic design studio turns out like, takes a lot of time, right. like yeah, 14 to 16 hour days. And then you have yeah. to like, yeah, you're running that business and then you also want to make movies. That's really hard. Yeah. And literally, you don't have to, yeah, you have to, you spend half and your time like chasing boss. down invoices. Yeah, ex- oh, a thousand percent. I think a lot of our listeners are trying to, you know, have made a bunch of shorts and are trying to figure mm-hmm. out how to get people to take them seriously enough to give them the money to either I think that's never going to happen. Or, I think I should tell them the truth. Or to attach a name. I think I should tell them the truth. Yes, yeah. no, that, that that's is like all very likely seek. never going to happen, which leads me to the Midnight Swim. Love it. Um, wherein I finally realized that that was never going to fucking happen. There was like no magic fairy that was going to come down and get me my cast attachment or give me money. Why would they, there's no reason, I'm not like, unless you are born into a family mm-hmm. of legacy filmmakers or born into money there's just no one who's ever going to take that first risk on you um, unless you like fully take it on yourself. And for years and years, people had been telling me, mainly my husband, like, why don't we just go make a micro budget feature? Why don't we just go make a micro budget feature? And I was like, um, excuse me, I'm an artist. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you understand my art. I've done the low budget yeah, stuff. I'm going to need, like, my art requires excellent, you know, and these resources. And so I, was, I felt like that was beneath me, I think, in mm-hmm. some ways, which is such bullshit. Um, because How much were you trying to raise? For the bigger movie, for the bigger movie, yeah. um, it was two point seven to begin with, mm-hmm. and we then we like after like you know many the heartache got it down to like one between one and one point five something mm-hmm. like that. Um, the min anyway, this is all leads to after that money didn't come through for the like one millionth time, um, and I was really depressed. I was like, well, what? finally, I was like, I should just go make another short film. And then uh, my good friend, Daniel Stam, who is an amazing filmmaker, um, who's Jonica Donnelly, my d- closest friend and um, creative collaborator, um, her husband is oh, Daniel. Wow. Anyway, okay. we were having dinner with them, and he was like, don't you dare make a short. I was like, what? He's like, don't make another short. That's so stupid. You're wasting your time and your money. Shorts are just as hard as features. You should take whatever effort and money you were going to put into that short and just make a micro-budget feature. Wait, may I ask you what year this was? 
I'm have no. I'm just more than guessing. five years ago. I bet it was like 2013 or 2014, probably. Oh, so about five or six years. Yeah. Ago. Okay. So Why, still, have, have the economics changed drastically? Uh, I do think the way in is like. I, I don't know. We get people ask us all the time yeah. if they should make a micro budget feature or like a proof of concept for like oh. a TV show or something. I mean, you know? well, TV is a whole other thing, right? Yeah. I, I don't I, know. This is, yeah. I, I mean, the answer is always like just make a good micro budget feature. You yeah. think so? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think. But nope. if you have a short that wins Sundance because it's, you got a, a recognizable actor for half a day and you. How are you going to get put, that actor if you haven't already made that short? Um, you like run into them at a party. <laughs> I think, I don't know. I no. guess there is certainly a way to do that, yeah. to make that short. I tried to do that. Um, I made a short called The Sirens, which I, I really loved and was really proud of. And I feel like I just got totally panned by festivals. Maybe it sucks. I have no perspective. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot, but I felt really, you know, my heart was really broken about that too. I, I put so much into it. And so I was like, yeah, I was making another, I was thinking I'd make another play at the short route. And just for our listeners who've been rejected from every festival with their shorts, like hearing you, hearing Sarah, Sarah, I almost cried just now thinking about it. HBO and Amazon Prime shows and stuff, like it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, yeah, huge success. And like I I saw you, my career, you went back there for a second. It's a series of rejections. Yeah, yeah. I I saw you get like a, a little genuinely upset though. I'm very sensitive. Yeah. Yeah, you're an artist. I get it. Um, but artiste, artiste, sorry, sure, <laughs> artisanal, artisanal artist. Yeah. Um, yeah, not to harp on this too much. There are a hell of a lot more shorts being sent in to say Sundance than there are features by a magnitude of like a yeah. hundred. I think quite literally. Yeah, and they program less shorts than features yeah. too. I just think also, mm, I don't know. Unless if you know a name actor personally then you need to be writing something for that person you need to like use whatever resources or connections that are available to you and so then there could be yeah totally a short path uh, or a short path a path towards success through making a great short but it's really really hard i think especially if you don't have any recognizable cast in your short to even make it to the programmer's attention i know they say they watch everything i just have a hard time believing that. And so, also, like, even if they do watch every everything, they're going to give the benefit of the doubt to something. They're going to give their full brain to something with an right. actor they recognize. I think it's true that someone watches everything. Yeah, I, I yeah, believe that they, all, they but watch there's a difference something. Not, not all programmers are ranked equally. So, like, I right. think you're right. Like, it's watched by someone, not maybe someone. But, like, watch while they're on their phone, watch, sure, you know, sure. like, I'm just, or, I think, Or like, an intern or, yeah. like, somebody who really has to, like, put their, you know, Reputation on the line to be like, hey, this is incredible. Versus, yeah. oh, an agent who I trust just called me, and they're exactly you know, award-winning directors. Uh, exactly. Well, something that's beyond—it's not an even playing field, right? So, they, people should know that. Yeah, and we yeah. talk about this on the podcast, but having connections at a film festival makes a giant difference. It makes the difference between the person watching your film being someone that's an intern that's on their phone while they're watching, and having like the head programmer watch it and. Or even the head programmer saying, hey, intern, pay attention to this one. Let me right. know what it, how it is because I owe my friend an email back. But right. I also think that we get overly obsessed with film festivals as the gatekeepers for our future. And I think that's really wrongheaded, yeah. actually. I think it, 
it's um I think you need to find your own voice by making something that you truly love and are so proud of and then that will lead you in the right direction right. Then even it if matter. Every, even yeah. if every festival says no. Yeah. Um which could happen even if you even if you make something that's really groundbreaking, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get into all these festivals because you might just not be like ringing the right bells in the right at the right time. Yeah, and we've heard the like paranormal activity stories where they just get rejected from every single festival and become the most profitable film ever. I, I mean, exactly. I think I've told this story on the podcast, but I was at a test screening at the one of the filmmakers' houses of paranormal activity and tore it to shreds. Oh, no. Yeah, Matt was like, <laughs> I, don't, like and I was like, I don't I'm think wrong. you should Told you so. <laughs> I was right. I, I, maybe you still don't like it, but like oh, no. they were like, <laughs> so even us geniuses yeah, yeah. are wrong sometimes. <laughs> yeah, can imagine. So, Sarah, I want please keep going. You, okay, you were yeah, you're, Midnight Swim. You're saying I love so much good swim. stuff. Daniel Stam told me not to make another fucking short and make a feature, and I listened finally. So instead of making a short. Um, I wrote um, a 25-page outline for a feature. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I never thought I was going to do that. In, in addition to not wanting to make a micro budget, I never thought I'd be making an improv feature either. I always thought like, no, no, no. I'm a writer. Must, I'm, I'm a writer, sure. yeah. artiste. So anyway, Daniel was like, go make a improv micro budget, and um, I Comedy? followed his advice. No, um, um, the Midnight Swim is a very weird movie to put into a genre. It's much more like a psycho spiritual, um, quasi horror film, but there's also a family drama. Cool. And is that how you Told imagined it? Yeah, it was just right. What I, I, I think in some ways it was. I d- didn't go to film school. I don't know that much about films. And so I think that's kind of a great way to be, at least yeah. when you're at the beginning, because I wasn't trying to um, emulate anything. Right. I just wanted to make a story that was interesting to me. And it turns out that, that like doesn't neatly fit actually yeah. into genres. I wasn't trying to make a genre movie, really. I was just trying to make a movie about something that was in, that was calling to me. I love and, it when people's influences are outside of the medium that they're working in. Yeah. Almost always. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in this case, it was actually a story that I think was an outgrowth of that short film I had made, The Sirens. So it was something about that that was still haunting me. That short film was about these um, three half-sisters who traveled to this suicide compound on a lake um, because one of them is um, grievously ill and deciding she doesn't want to keep fighting her cancer anymore. It's this strange, mysterious lake where no one's ever found the bottom. It's like this really deep lake. Um, And so I'm not going to give away the short. I don't want to spoil the short. But that concept was really interesting to me. So the feature was sort of an outgrowth of that. Gotcha. That makes sense. In different ways. In in the feature, it's a story about three half-sisters, but um, their mother has gone missing. one and a half-sisters. Yes. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. their mother has gone mysteriously missing at the bottom of this bottomless lake. So it's a story about sort of making peace with their mother. Did you shoot it at the same lake? No, two different lakes actually. And what, um, so you make this movie, can I ask how much you um, Mm -hmm. shot Midnight Swim for? Um, $50,000 got us through production. And shot on video? Mm, Yes, we shot on the Black Magic 
Oh, cool. Which was awesome at the time. That brick the big brick. camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the Black Magic a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, it's a good camera. I, I think all cameras are awesome at yeah, this point. Yeah, it's all about lighting also yeah. and what you put in front of it. Yeah, it's yeah. like you can get an and it will look awesome. Totally. Yeah. 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 Performances, who cares, right? But a good Don't lens. need them. Puppets. <laughs> <laughs> Music. <laughs> uh, so that was like a, you wrote like a scriptment? Yeah, it was like a scriptment and um, very, very collaborative um piece with the actors we all like lived in the same house where we were shooting mm-hmm. and it was like just a really delightful like summer camp kind of experience where we would like wake up in pajamas and like eat cereal on the living room floor and like talk about what we were going to do that day and we would discuss the the shape of the scene we were about to shoot um and like maybe beat it out together mm-hmm. it was you, you know sort of beat it out on paper but then can you give us an it. example of like what you would write in your treatment to just describe a scene would it just be like mm-hmm. a couple sentences yeah, it depends. Um, like Buster's Malheart was also a script meant like 60 pages or something. And um, sometimes the scenes would be almost fully fleshed out, actually. And then some scenes would just be, yeah, a couple sentences, something like I knew happens here roughly. And I um, versus sometimes I would even in Buster, I would want to write the dialogue out. Mm-hmm. And some some scenes would have maybe one line of dialogue. Buster was weird. It's a weirdo script meant. And there's like pictures and stuff, too. That's cool. Yeah. Can I ask... Um why not write the whole thing? What was the thinking specifically for Midnight Swim? Well, I had been working and working on these other scripts for so long that I think in some ways I was, it, it, well, I did it by necessity. For the Midnight Swim, it was necessity because we had to go shoot at this location that we had. And, like, this, you know, we oh, had. Oh, right. Because you so literally, like, you, you put a deposit down. So it was what like am basically, I I, we need to, like, we need, we've already, money's been spent. Like, what can we, time, we need to raise a, just a little bit more and then just go shoot something. And so that was really by necessity. But what I learned from that was actually, um, I think I really learned how to be a director on the Midnight Swim and working that way mm-hmm. um, because it came, became so much more about. The collaboration. Listening and the collaboration and like filmmaking, really. That's when the artiste the turned into an artist. That's damn right. Um, yeah, because I think in, when you're writing the script, I think you can be a real perfectionist, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and, it, and you have to remember that you're, the final product is not the script. It's the movie. So I guess the reason, right, that we think people will write scripts, especially like for their first feature yeah. or whatever, is to try to attach people, right? The crew or... An yeah. actor or something, even if they're not famous, you want to give them something to read. And well, the it, weird secret of this town I found out is nobody reads anything anyway, for the most part. A, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I think that's nobody point. reads. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, people and, hate. Reading. And what I think actually, actors prefer to read. In I've had good success with these scriptments because they're shorter. They read more like a short story. It's mm-hmm. actually. It's much more, you can get into the character's head a bit more because it's in prose form. Do you use And actors lines? love it. Uh, no, not no, really. So I, used, say, I like, did a numbered, the house. a numbered list. I just like write it like a short story in like broken into scenes. You were blowing my mind. I'm working on an outline right now and it's, I do have slug lines. I'm like, is it weird? Does it, do the slug lines make it harder to read or is it, mm-hmm. but my goal is to change this outline into a script, but then. Mm-hmm. I don't know, the scriptment thing, I'm really sold on it. Some of my favorite movies are like written like that. You know, like The One I Love and a bunch of I those movies. I love The One I Love. It's yeah. a great I think great I've film. got too much, I'm too... Um, You're on both sides. Controlling. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. so... so I do it both ways. I mean, my, my movie I'm about to make next is fully scripted, mm-hmm. but I hope to like bring the lessons of the working non-scripted with me because... 
I think the thing that's great about working from something that's not fully fleshed out is you are actively in the moment Mm -hmm. forced to discover what's important. You have no script to fall back on. And that's really exciting Yeah, and more dangerous and keeps you on your toes. And so like I I need to figure out how to do that um, with a script that's fully written in in which TV has been a great chance to exercise that. My fear with the scriptment is that the actors will just talk forever. They'll improvise line after line and just talk circles don't around. Don't give them so much freedom. They first of all, actors don't like that much freedom. It makes mm-hmm. them very uncomfortable. How would you keep them from having that much freedom? What would you do? What would you say? Well, when we're talking about the scene beforehand, um, we'll beat it out and then be like, and sometimes I'll say, well, maybe you'll say something like this. And maybe you'll say something like this. And then they'll go like, well, I might not say that, but what about this? And so like, we're actually writing it Mm-hmm. Kind of in the moment together, not um, on camera. You're right. Not on pre- camera, but like, but we're, or we're at least vaguely sort of taking a first draft out loud together, and then um, the first take, um, I let that be as messy as it wants to be, mm-hmm. and as awkwardly long as it wants to be, and then it's a then it's a process of editing mm-hmm. in each take, and then it comes down to me oftentimes being like, just say this just say this. So mm-hmm. then I'm just like, it's almost like I'm improvising as a writer. Right. Um, like the, mm-hmm. helping edit and write it as we go. Right. As, as well as they are too. So it's like a, but it's less like, okay, on this one, I'm going to throw out a word <laughs> sure, sure, sure. and you do it in a cowboy accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me recommend, you should take some good. UCB classes. That's <laughs> not how we do That's it. That's not how you do it? No. Oh, it's been a while since I've been to an improv show. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's not whose line. <laughs> it's not, I mean, no, there, I'm sure it's more sophisticated than that. <laughs> Yeah, but still, uh, there is yes. there is an element of like saying something stupid, the half baked to them, and then they'll make it better. There, there, yeah. is, there is there's not a cowboy hat prop, but right. But you guys you are know. saying the same thing, and Sarah's just saying yeah, yeah. give them some guide, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. like a yeah. bumpers. Or yeah, your, to yours work. is is more um, dis- discovery based, and mine is more results based. And okay. I, I'm really fascinated by this, and um, it sounds incredible. It's really great with drama. Um, l- let me ask, how much of the first take did you find you were using in the mm. final edit? I almost always end up using the first and last takes. Mm-hmm. The first take is the one you didn't fuck up because you didn't like over direct it. And it's just like whatever was raw and there and really interesting. And then the last take is where you've discovered and grown sure. into something and really like broken through something together. So nine times out of 10, it's, it's in usually, I mean, if I'm just like thinking about what my normal speed is on um, features, you're lucky if you get four takes just because it's sure. like running, you know, not running gun, but like you're on a crazy tight schedule mm-hmm. and tight budget. So, um, but it tends to be like takes one and four. And then every once in a while, like three will surprise you or you'll like sure. rewatch two and you're like, how did I not see that before? But it's funny. Cause I feel like maybe it's inversed for me in huh. that, in the way that like your last take is the closest to the quote unquote scripted version mm-hmm. in a certain sense. Right. Mm-hmm. And your first take is the wildest one. Mm-hmm. Normally mine is the other way around oh, where you whoa, start on whoa. book and then, you and like then you're like, up. you know, that didn't we got work. That. Let's yeah, try yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, 
now that I think about it, now when I do scripted TV, it's more like that. Yeah, yeah, actually. that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like, eh, well, you well, know. I try it like this, yeah. or maybe say this instead. Yeah, 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 yeah. But usually the last take tends to be the best because that's usually when you're like, I got it, let's move on. So we like go for it. Hopefully it's the best. Sure, totally. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, I get annoyed with editors sometimes because they just like start on the last take because they just lazy. assume that on everything. I think and you're editors like, are, I, yeah. as, an editor, as an editor, I can say that we're lazy. <laughs> Um, or, or under pressure, maybe. Yeah, or have to do a lot of work fast. Uh, Wait, but my, my last question about the these kind of boring to watch improvised. like takes. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, is do you start with like the master shot so that you kind of figure out like use um, like get I'm the blocking cheating. and everything? Yeah, figured out in one shot, and then you will go in for coverage. It just totally depends on the scene because there's certain scenes that are like like I was saying with Legion, like there's certain scenes that were like we are doing this camera move mm-hmm. that is that thing and there's I guess that is the master shot that's the whole thing yeah right. and no, then you like figure this, out with oh. the script oh, specifically yeah. when you're improvising when the scriptment. oh um, with the Midnight Swim it was a POV movie so what was really amazing and interesting is that caused all kinds of wonderful restrictions yeah yeah bomb drop so like it's one character's POV yeah it's one character's POV like like helmet cami sort of not or? helmet cami she is she has a camera but it's like very much like from her emotional point of view it's like her the camera is built into her psyche in the story so like she is someone with mental illness who like uses this camera to like filter the world and so what she's looking at tells us so much about what she's feeling in the midnight swim mm-hmm. and so it really like was such a beautiful way to sculpt directing choices because it was always about like well what's june feeling right now in the scene right. and so there might be times where like a normal movie you would you would see so much more but in this scene she's only looking at one person's face because that person's making her uncomfortable did so, you ever have her like go into a helicopter and get a cool establishing shot no <laughs> sorry I just want to get clear yeah. <laughs> but great follow up question so the, the camera know. is not omniscient but it's not is it that she's operating a camera she's operating a camera so it's as though it's, it's almost like Cloverfield style or, or found footage style in it. Yeah, in a, I, the reason I don't use found footage is because it's not a thing where like someone discovered sure. a box of tapes. Right. It's actually the whole notion was how do we get in someone's head and mm-hmm. see the world through their eyeballs? So I think but of it still filtered through a can The character is holding yes, but a camera. She's an unreliable narrator, and the camera itself becomes unreliable. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. there's elements of that in Legion too. Mm. A lot of elements. Of totally. That. My jam. Well, I want to know what happened with Midnight Swim. Did it not enough? Yeah, we're going back to my series of disappointments. That's my <laughs> life story. Okay, so my you, memoir. No, this is all incredible, yeah. though, because I think there's a lot of people who think like I'm going to make my micro budget and then no, and it doesn't it's happen really for hard. them, and then they're hard. But you know what? I I you can't. What's the Rolling Stones quote? You can't always get what you want, but you try sometimes, and you find you get what you need. That's been very true for me. <laughs> so I wanted the Midnight Swim to do so much better than it did. Um, it did very well. I'm certainly not complaining or ungrateful for mm-hmm. how well it did, but I, I had even higher hopes and expectations. When you say well, like it premiered at a good festival? It premiered or? at a great festival, but it didn't premiere at Sundance. Mm-hmm. Which um, one did it premiere? Just like at the Fantasia yeah, yeah. Festival, oh, cool. which is great, and then at AFI. Great. Um, yeah. cool. Great, amazing festivals. I love them forever. You, you found out you got what you needed. What was which the thing was, you needed? Which was, I got managers, and I got offered to direct a segment of holidays, mm-hmm. which got me into the DGA, mm-hmm. which was oh, cool. amazing. So, so it's like holidays, these little mini steps that yeah, yeah. helped me. It was, it's all been like a lot of 
tremendously hard work and small steps forward. And Holidays was a studio film? Oh, that feels like a stretch, mm-hmm. <laughs> given that business model. Holidays was, it's an amazing, um, I was so grateful for that opportunity. It was also just like really smart producing. So they basically asked eight genre directors at that Fantasia Film Festival is a genre film festival. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of a story I think you told before we started recording this podcast of like the Midnight Swim's like not really a genre movie, yeah, yeah, it like yeah. sort of is, but it like played at this genre festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was like starting to be seen as a genre director and got asked to do um, holidays, and that was the first time in my life anyone had approached me and said, "Let me give you a little bit of money to make something," mm-hmm. and I was just like. Yes, like very fast. Yes, Deal. I don't yeah, care what you're asking me to do. And did yeah. they find you through your managers? Like, or this might have been. Oh gosh, I think I might have been before I got my managers. So just off the. Festival. Someone had seen um, Adam Egypt Mortimer, who was one of the producers, had seen the Midnight Swim at Fantasia. Oh, that's cool. how it happened. I don't think it was a studio movie, considering we each director got twenty five thousand dollars to make their short. It's no laughing sum, but it's certainly like it, they knew that all the directors they tapped, like Kevin Smith being the biggest name of them, were we were all oh, your your uncle, my uncle, Uncle Kev, <laughs> yeah, um, Kevin uh, Adina Smith, yeah. <laughs> Cass. Um, they knew that, or at least for me. Like we, when you tap a bunch of directors to do an anthology, there's going to be a natural level of like competition. Mm-hmm. So as a producer, that's a really smart business model. Like I'm only going to give you a tiny amount of money and who's going to make mm-hmm. the best thing. And so, and I felt like I had a lot to prove. Um, this is like the first like time anyone's just like handed me money to make something. And then um, also I was like the token lady of the project. So I felt like I had mm-hmm. just, I and I also... I was so afraid they were going to change their minds and take the money back. So I just like ran straight <laughs> at it and like ma- actually finished my, <laughs> I finished my short first, which is so sad, but true. Cause I was just like, I'm going to need to spend this before they can change their minds. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so did you write it too? Or did they give you a script? I wrote it. Yeah. 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 So you and just went for it. What's, and what was that one about? That one's called mother's day. So each it's called holidays. Every director got to pick a holiday. Mm-hmm. I asked for things. Thanksgiving, and they were like, let's give that to a more important director. Oh, gotcha. Right. What's your second choice? And then I was like, oh, Yom Kippur or Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Yom Kippur, that's awesome. Yeah, but um, I really love the short I ended up making. Um, I think it's like, the I and Holidays is a cool little mishmash of different films. I think in some ways my short lives best on its own. I'm not trying to take anything away from the anthology itself but like in the context of the anthology it's a little weird because i i'm a weird director it's much more like sort of tonal Mm -hmm. and um strange the way i'm strange and maybe doesn't necessarily fit with all the other films didn't holidays get you buster's mall's heart no um it got me um in the dga it got me. Um, and so, more did you have to pay experience. like ten grand or whatever to join the DGA, or did they pay that for you? Um, they had done. It was really a wonderful way into the DGA because they negotiated um, a smaller fee. Oh, that's yeah, good which on was them. So yeah, great. Yeah. I still had to take a loan out to like pay that fee, but it was much smaller than it could have been. Um, I got that movie because one of the. Um, key investors in the Midnight Swim um, decided to take another shot with me. So really the Midnight oh, Swim cool. helped me make Buster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 
So, um, I so made another movie. So you made another movie. And can you, uh, I haven't seen it. What's the title all about? I just think that's really shameful, Oren. Do you remember what my movie's called? I said it ten minutes ago. Deaf Ooh. people. Ooh. The hammer. Ooh. Whatever. <laughs> I forgot. So at least you got Okay, that. but that was pretty good. That was yeah. pretty good. <laughs> um, so what's uh, what's it about? I uh, get sad when I have to do the what's it about pitch line for my movie. You should get just people of the world listening to this podcast. Just Google it. You, you want me? I'll, I'll take a swing. Really? Oren loves to do this. Yeah. And I hate so, this. Yeah. I, I guess log so you, lines. You, you can correct me. Okay. So uh, I, I'm not going to go log line because I think it would probably be a little too hard, but I'll summarize real quick. So Rami Malek is... Um, Mr. Robot. Mr., yeah. The Mr. Robot. Slash star of Buster's Mill Heart, also <laughs> yes. known Slash for Mr. Robot. Freddie uh, Mercury a, in the new Brian Singer film. Papillon. It, forgive Am me. It's, right? it's been, a, been a minute. Is it? Probably not. Is he Buster? He's Buster. He is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so Rami Malek, Mr. Robot, a.k.a. Buster, um, he, he, he's like a young father, um, and he works the midnight shift, basically, at a hotel. And he meets this kind of drifter played by the weird guy. DJ Qualls. DJ Qualls, yeah, um, who's kind of like shady and like curious and has kind of all these crazy conspiracy theories. And he uh, and Rami kind of like go in together on... Um, like a low rent heist, basically, where they um, steal the valuables from the people. In You're the, doing really good. Now stop. Too much information. They don't need. I don't. And then oh, the ending is oh, insane. Spoilers. But that was really, really good. Okay, and then things unravel from there. There basically. you go. Buster's um, Not Heart is a story about one man whose soul is split into two, um, which is impossible right one person actually becoming two and so it's about a man who actually tears space time a new asshole we briefly thought about renaming the movie two assholes because we thought it would do a lot better and we probably should have it's a little harder to google i think but what is mal what does mal mean like bad bad yeah spanish sick sad bad okay and it's totally it's like it's it it's shot very artistically. It's like there's a lot of headroom and like it's mm-hmm. like very moody and contact. Mr. Robot stole that from you. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry. I, I know it's it's a sensitive thing for well, me because well, I hadn't even seen Mr. Robot when I made Buster's Mouth Heart and then it you, has a lot no, of No, it hadn't been shot yet, had it? No, so when we cast, the day we sent Rami our offer, um, like his face started showing up on billboards and posters <laughs> and I was like, God damn it, really? Like, this guy's like, all, of course now all of a sudden he's really famous. But that's I mean, awesome, right? Yeah, that's good for you, you know. No, but that's bad because he, I was like, he'll never read the script now. Uh, oh, but you said oh, the, oh, you right. the just offer. He just sent the offer, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so right. I was, we, I thought, I thought we had this brilliant casting idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had seen him in... Um, Short Term 12 was yeah. where it had caught my attention, but... Um, the he was in the, twi- in the Twilight films as well. Night at the Museum, the Pacific. You... So, he loves when people talk about night in the museum. <laughs> that, that is really funny. You yeah. guys know his credits better than I do. Yeah. You have a special thanks on Short Term 12. How come? I went to a feedback screening. Oh, and I fucking gave love that movie. Lots of notes. It's and so it, good. It's an amazing it's so movie. Such talented group. Very jealous. That's yeah. excellent. Um, so, Mr. Robot is, is blowing up. Yes, yeah, so Mr. Robot's blowing up. Um, and what in your offer do you send the scriptment? What do you send? Yeah, the scriptment. Probably sent a letter. Those no one ever reads either, but I keep Wait, reading them. Are you? Are you? How confident are you in that fact? Mm, I feel 
The agent reads it, right? For sure. I don't think so. I will say that. I really don't. I'm very at this moment in my life. Because we've had a lot of guests on here feel like they got someone by writing a letter. Liz Manischel will disagree with you till the day she she dies. Uh, She got Bobby Moynihan. Well, maybe Liz writes absolutely stunning. No, but Jessica Sanders also told us she writes letters. And a lot of people. That's how she got Simon help. I write letters. I just. I have a hard time believing that anyone's yeah, anyone them. reads them. Yeah. Do you include that information in the letter? You're like, you're I should probably start not writing write. like sarcastic letters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If read you're this. reading this now, <laughs> yeah. I will say this: I've offered um, some fancy people, and when they've called me to very politely turn me down, which is, I think, a very class act, they'll say, "Oh, I read your letter, and it was really nice, and I wanted to reach out." People call you, yeah, to it, turn you down. That? I mean, wait, like who's the most famous person that's called you? Yeah. That's like a what a beautiful thing. That has never happened to me. Isn't that classy? I get silence. I shouldn't. I get a because, single line from an agent, so and so respectfully passes. And yeah. like, yeah, I don't. You I didn't even get you didn't send that. He was like, oh, you like, I don't want to do this through agents and stuff. I just wanted to call you. That's awesome. That's a, that's a unique thing, though. Yeah, pretty cool, right? Yeah. Okay, so um, Buster's Place Toronto. Did it have a theatrical release or no? It did. It did. Yeah, yeah. It played down the street from me. It did, yeah. We had a pretty good, I think we played in like 50 cities. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. We did pretty well with a company called Wellgo. That was the distributor's Wellco? name. Wellgo? Wellgo USA. Wellgo. Oh, cool. They're I love like, them. They're, um, they, their bread and butter is bringing rad Asian movies to the American <laughs> market. And they had just, with Buster was the first one where they wanted to um, tap into American indies. Interesting. So we went with them. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And so then you started moving into TV. How did you transition from indie features into HBO TV shows? The home box office. Um, I We were just about to um, premiere at Toronto. And then two actors who were in the Midnight Swim, who are dear friends of ours now, who I didn't know. I just cast them in the minute. You minute went swim. to summer camp with them, and yes, movie. and we became yeah. BFFs. They recommended me to Mark and Jay Duplass, who are their friends, um, and I went in and had a pitch interview mm-hmm. on this show, and just hit it off with Mark about a script he'd written. Um, and I think that he and I like share a sort of twisted, dark sense of humor, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And um, so he ended up asking me to do um, a second episode as well. So I got to do two episodes. They're both totally messed up. And, and I love them. When you met with him, had you read the scripts already? I had read the because I was just meeting on one script. I think mm-hmm. I was just meeting on Ralphie to begin with um, and and totally loved it. And then, um, and and were then you, the knock and do came about later. Did you walk in with like confidence even though you'd never done tv before were you like scared i always walk in with confidence because i'm always like really ready to die at any time (laughs) (laughs) so i feel like i'm just like living a genuinely nothing to lose metal and that's the pull quote (laughs) (laughs) wait so but do you come in with like all these really strong ideas of how it should look are you a little more introspective and like Um, i was thinking it might be fun if we do this um, like how do you pitch on it? I I really just take each project separately. So I, I read Ralphie. I 
you know, jot down any sort of first ideas that come to me on a first reading. And then I oftentimes just like let myself do a judgment free internet dive and like find images that like speak to me. And then I kind of put together, um, I can't remember if in Ralphie I've actually like put together a sort of look book sort of ahead of time. I may have just gone in and just talked about Mm -hmm. things that I saw and loved about it and then followed up maybe with the PDF perhaps. And then just to like explore your process a little bit more. So you read the script. It's an anthology show, right? Room 104? It is. But what's so much fun as like I am the most spoiled person on earth that that was my first TV gig because Room 104, each episode is totally different. The only rule is that it has to take place in this one room, Room Mm -hmm. 104. So it's like making a short film. Right. So it right. really wasn't like directing traditional TV right. at all. I just got to go make two short films, which right. is a total scam. How long are and they? I loved it. Um, 22 yeah, minutes? 22 to 28 kind of minutes. Are they hard scripted the way that, the way your future work is? Or was it, was they it were more? Hard, imp- no, they were, they were hard scripted. But um, I also was given, I mean, like, Within reason, sort of like, ah, oh, that line doesn't work mm-hmm. so much. Or actually, we only had three days to shoot each of those episodes, which was not a lot. And mm-hmm. it was really hard. And so I had to make, um, I think I really tapped into my like on the fly scriptment right. improv skills right. in that like, I'd have to be like, what's crucial here? What can we lose? Mm-hmm. We have an hour left and we're supposed to do three scenes. That's not going to work. <laughs> like, you know, like I, I could do a lot of that reshaping and like sort of writing on the fly as a director. Mm-hmm. And then and they were open to it. Uh, I think that it was. I hope they were open to it because that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, asked, within yeah, yeah, yeah. And within, you got a second episode. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but um, going back to like your image, I, I wasn't changing anything that was. Um, I I think I did a pretty good job of where I had to make changes on the fly. It was like always within, very much within the spirit of the thing. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just, sorry, I'm just curious about like yeah. when you're you're doing this unjudgmental dive into the internet, finding images. So you read the script and you just I try to work in of, two different brains. Yeah, and they're so equally important. And one is the like safe space. There are no stupid questions, no stupid thoughts. Like just literally, like give yourself permission. The way I would give my actors permission on the day to mm-hmm. do their best work, I try to give myself that permission. Whether it's in writing or directing, it's actually harder to do in writing, I think. So you have the one brain, which is just the like play brain. Mm-hmm. And then you have your editing brain. And then you, that's when you need to put your like analytical story structure hat on. And like then you're going back and being judgmental and making choices and mm-hmm. editing it down. But um, I think it's really important that you keep them as separate them as possible. Separate. Yeah, but yeah. so when you read that script, what do you type into Google? Like, Mark Duplass. TV. I type in TV. <laughs> Mark Duplass TV <laughs> Television. <laughs> oh. Do you remember the first thing? Was that What was the seed? What of was Ralphie? The, yeah. You were like, oh, I read this. I really- My brother. So when I read Ralphie, I think what I responded to is the first idea that came to me is he needs to wear a cape. You guys probably haven't seen it yet, so it, yeah. this makes no sense to you. But um, Ralphie was like this really um, like wonderful um, young boy character, and I... I have two older sisters and a younger brother and my younger brother was just a terror growing up and he used to wear this like Superman cape and refuse to take it off. So I think that may have been the first seed for me, jumping mm-hmm. off point. Cool. And then where where do you find your images? Just like everywhere? Pinterest? Everywhere. There used to be the most amazing site in the world and it got taken down and it breaks my heart still. I've never found anything quite as good. There used to be a site called found 
Oh yeah, remember think, that? Yeah, and then like it turned porn. It turned to porn. It like very slowly turned into a porn site and then died. Like a photographer, like yeah, like nudes artful, artful nudes, right? <laughs> that um, just got like by the as each year went on, got like more and more graphic until it became just not useful. Gross anymore. porn. Yeah. By the way, our friend Blake wants to start a ramen place called Tasteful Nudes. Oh, it's about noodle, really, noodle place. Really, really, yeah. really good idea. Nudes, oh, two O's. That's would, pretty good. Yeah, I'm in for that. <laughs> Uh, what was found? Like, it's like a image aggregator site, I guess. That was just like, but it was like a Tumblr. I was never cool enough of. to be invited to to add to it. Like it was um, more exclusive. The people who, I think you had to be invited to contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it was very well curated um, until it got porny. Gotcha. I don't know what happened. But if you guys have, I would love recommendations. I'm always looking for mm-hmm. good. I, I've never never quite found a site as good. Yeah, there's. Yeah. I mean, we talk about sites we love all the time. Mm-hmm. I actually just sent um, some creative director emailed me, and he's like, "Hey, I listen to your podcast, and I'm making a treatment. Can you send me some of your favorite sites?" And I just sent him a list of like 20 sites I can forward it to. Oh my god! I mean, they're, so they happy. literally have like Google and Pinterest on there, but also Film Grab. You put and, Google on the list. Well, I kind of I walked him through my method. Oh, like okay, I started okay, on okay. Google Images, you know, and then this tool that I yes I actually Google image is a great way to start because if you find one thing you like then you visit that page and then you can kind of like take a dive well there's this other amazing thing on web browsing where you can like right click on an image and say search for this image in on Google like on other sites yeah and it'll find you you can usually get to like the original posting that of that image like the high-res posting and then any place that posts like really high-res images usually has other great high-res images and yeah, so a lot of like kind of web walking. Resolution is a big thing for you, though. Right? Yeah, like, I don't like things unresolved. Yeah. yeah. Um, for your decks. Hey, let's keep it. Keep it clean. Yeah, found 1.0. Um, People uh, really listen to this? I feel like it got really boring. <laughs> I guarantee they do. <laughs> okay, so where TV. were we? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, so you made a treat. You met with Mark Duplass. Mm-hmm. You you had a good good chemistry with him. Mm-hmm. You sent him images. You got the job. You shot it. You did. They loved it. You did the second one, mm-hmm. and then just everything was. Then you just got a million calls for TV offers after that. Um. Do you get an agent at this point? Oh, I got an agent. I got the job, room one hundred and four, and then I got an agent like the week a week later. And that was all leading up to Toronto. Perfect timing. Yeah. That means you don't have to give somebody a couple thousand bucks. But it also is hilarious because it's like. I have for many years tried to get an agent and it never worked. And it's like the moment you kind of don't need an agent. Like I got like made a couple movies and got my own TV yeah. gigs. Like that's when I got Preach. agents. Because no. agents want to they want to make money latch onto someone that's making yeah. money, not yeah, yeah. someone that's not making money. Yeah. It's the most frustrating advice because people, but you hear it all the time. You won't get an agent until uh, you don't need they it. find you. Yeah, I think it's you. really true. Yeah. I think you shouldn't waste your time trying. Yeah. So literally you had an HBO show and two features under your belt and then, and then someone I got was like, oh, hey. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Wait, don't sweat it, everybody. But I think I missed, so you got into Toronto mm-hmm. and you shot the two episodes of Room 104 before you even um, screened? I think I got into Toronto, we screened there, and then um, shot the two episodes in like October or November. So you were on a hot streak. Life right. was good. It was were you, pretty this good. is when it you jumped your that- boyfriend and got a new like male <laughs> oh, model. No. Oh, I've been, ma- I've been, I'm like super extra happily married um, and to my DP um, uh, who had, has been 
you know, through all the ups and downs on everything on this entire saves you a lot of money. Yeah, that's why I did it. I don't, I don't, can't pay him exactly, and he can. Do you ever like prep with him whenever I want? Do you ever want to hire a different DP? And oh yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, we're both married to actresses, so we uh, we're in this Um, boat. No, actually, I have the uh, the reverse problem where. like I wanted to hire him on Hannah, for example, but he doesn't have enough TV experience on his resume, mm-hmm. so it's hard to get him hired. Mm-hmm. So I ended up um, being able to bring him on to do second unit, which is great to get some TV on his resume. This is like the mon- the montage part of my life story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, like things are going great. Yeah. I'm doing, I'm stretching my hamstrings and stuff. And um, the HBO show was like the first time I'd ever gotten an actual real paycheck. Yeah. yeah. And when you say an actual real paycheck, you mean a paycheck, period. A paycheck period for making for directing reading, for yeah. directing like you had gotten I'd money paid before. as an editor or yeah, like yeah, sure, writing job course. here and there but like but you got you so a DGA directing paycheck which after everyone took their cut was not as big as I thought it was yeah. going to be you made, and as, as much work as I put into it I was like oh that's still actually three movies a dollar three an movies hour. and then you cashed the check yeah yes yeah. exactly and, the, and so the TV stoked. episodes too yeah and sirens. On iTunes, Sarah, available on iTunes. <laughs> sure, one ninety nine. Help her out. Yeah. Um, but, so now, but that is so essential for people to hear and to yeah. understand, and to not be bummed on. Like, you know, start your graphic design company, PA hustle. It's all that's totally. all part of it. You I think know? it is. There are two, lots of different routes to take as well. Like there are people who take the like get a traditional job in mm-hmm. the film industry route, and then like work on your thing on the side. And I think I. I don't know, whatever this, the graphic design thing worked for me because I was still being creative and like ended up working on a lot of skills I still use today. Like mm-hmm. I still use gr- my graphic design of like course, yeah. all the damn time. But uh, maybe it was like I, I was, because I wasn't like saturated in a job that was already in the industry directly all the time, I still had energy mm-hmm. for my own stuff on yeah. weekends and nights. Do you think your graphic design skills make you, it help you be a better at pitching because you can show yeah. people stuff the way you imagine and it. And because I spent so much of my time in that job pitching to clients. Uh-huh. So I actually got, I think, pretty good at reading a room and pitching and yeah. understanding how to sell something. Yeah, that's awesome. I think, I mean, I don't know, I'm really into fonts and stuff. And I feel like people yeah. think it's silly, but I think no, it's like it's one really of the important. yeah important things is if you're a visual the artist, it doesn't matter. The font that we are using for the... Hannah TV show was the same font I chose for the uh, my pitch document when I yeah. got the job. Yeah, Helvetica. <laughs> no. I'm an Arial no. fan myself. What no, it was a custom. It? I made it from Defoe. Oh, really? Yeah, I made it. You make your own font? Well, it was like just for the word mark, Hannah. Yeah. Wow, you really still that's you really go deep. Pretty good. They're like we had two directors, got this Scorsese fellow, but someone, this lady, made her own made font. A font. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was, font is that's a, a stretch. I, sure, sure. Mm. What program do you use to make a font? Like, where do you make this a font? Is, I was just an Illustrator. It's very simple. You'll gotcha. see it when you see the design. It's not uh, like it's not serif. It's not like ornate in any way. Yeah, yeah. I like a little sans slab. <laughs> My brother-in-law who um Alex Seth who was like an amazing graphic designer and worked for us when we had our graphic design shop for he worked for us for like 8 years. He's a proper type designer. Mm-hmm. Like he is like, you know, woodcut like yeah, yeah. He, he I should never claim to have made a font cuz he would yell at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like that font made you. Exactly. 
So now are you in a place in your career where you get to turn down jobs that you're getting offered multiple jobs and you get to turn down the ones that are less interesting? Super weird. It's weird new territory for Mm -hmm. me for sure. And I also I have this like nagging fear that like I I just keep saying no to things and that seems like a bad idea. Like what if they what if no one ever asks me to do things again? You know, Mm -hmm. like I definitely have that strange anxiety now where I feel like is this the only window of opportunity? Should I just be saying yes more readily to things? But I have, this is goddamn cheesy, but true. Like I have inside of me stories I feel I need to tell. I worked this hard to get this point to be able to try and tell them. So I'm still trying to do that as um, not just a director, but as a writer director. Um, and so I'm, I'm trying to give myself the space to keep developing those things. Um, and if like the right, amazing project comes along, I'll say yes. But I'm trying not to just take projects to take projects. And how do you know when to say no? Nine times out of ten, it just sucks. Anyway, it's really easy. The material's really bad. But then there's sometimes where it's really hard because the materials, the worst, the hardest one is the material's okay or even decent. But there's somebody attached that you'd love to work with. So it's mm-hmm. like, oh, maybe I can make it better. You know, like maybe, oh, I could I could see my way into this, you know. Yes. And so it's really like tempting. A, my life story. Yeah. It's really yeah. tempting. And you feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say no to that. That's, you know, like, um, but deep down you've got this inner voice telling you like that's, you don't need to make that movie. Like that movie doesn't really need to be made. I think that's part of the way I've been measuring it for myself at least is like we live in a, time when there's just a glut of things to watch. There's so many movies and so many TV shows, so much great stuff. But um, I think that makes me in some ways even pickier because it's like I have, we all have limited time here on this earth, like limited years that we can spend our energy. Mm -hmm. And um, I just really have to have a real deep reason to want to make, to want to make the thing. I think at this point, it's too much work otherwise. And that counts for a TV episode as well. It's a little bit different with TV. I mean, because with TV, it's like a little bit more, um, I, I did these, I kind of like have done two years of TV in a row and I did it knowing that I needed to get myself to a place to be able to take a pause. Mm-hmm. Um, again, back to like first paychecks, maybe paying down some debt, getting a dentist, for example, <laughs> yeah, adulting, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. doing some things, which was like amazing. Um, but beyond that, also, it's like you're a guest artist on someone else's show, so it's oh, you can you can have a little emotional distance from the thing that you're mm-hmm. doing. It can be a job. It, it's yeah. a, a great job. Yeah, an absolutely amazing job. Hannah was a little different. Hannah really be, felt like my adopted baby. You know, mm-hmm. like I really because I did the pilot and um, was a co EP on it and felt like it was like I was really giving myself to it the way I would a, a film. Um, Do you get paid on every episode of that show? That is the secret dirty trick of being a pilot director. Yeah, the pilot, that's the one to get. God bless the Directors Guild of America. Yeah. Well, you're doing all that work. And God bless unions. I'm a communist. I hope you guys don't mind. I'm like a straight up communist agitator and I think everyone should unionize right now. Yeah. Yeah. George Soros has That's, made you to he's say paying that. me. <laughs> Matt, any final questions? Uh, let's hop into unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. Uh, uh, Orin, you got something? Yeah, I got a couple things. Well, one, I just feel like we don't talk about this enough, but we have two editors 
Christopher Robert Gray is a very handsome, very good actor. Look him up. He's in SAG. Cast him in your thing. He'll change his name if you want to do non-union. Come on. Um, no, but he's, Matt, seen him work before. I've, yeah. I've not had a role for him yet, but I'm very excited to use him. But, but check him out, Christopher Robert Gray. Our other editor, Jay McAuliffe, uh, she has an awesome podcast. It's called We Must Ignite. It's about a lot of things about life, but it's a lot, kind of like questions of gender in um, and the creative spaces in the creative in spaces, the greater Phoenix area. But look up uh, We Must Ignite the podcast. It's really awesome. It's like much better produced than this podcast. Yeah, it's like more like an NPR podcast. You know, with segments and music and thoughtful writing. But uh, my other endorsement. I don't know why, but I've been super obsessed with this Israeli mentalist named Lior Sushard. L-I-O-R is his first name, Lior Sushard, S-U-C-H-A-R-D. Have you guys heard of this guy? No. He's been around is for Sushard a while. Is Sushard Hebrew for Swiss shard? Yes. <laughs> he, he basically shows you different recipes you can make with Swiss shard. No, he is, a, he, so he's a mentalist and he does two things. He can read your mind and he can influence you to think about something and it's like it's for realsies it's totally for real like he just i watched you can just look him up on youtube you, i've watched him on good morning america good morning britain on live with regis and kelly or whoever someone in kelly the view every single show uh he was on james corden that's like my favorite one he had like harry connick jr was on there and he just looked at harry connick jr he was like, think of your PIN number, you know, for your ATM yeah. card. And he what? Like wrote the PIN number. And he's like, this what? is it. What? I'm going to look that so up. It's so insane. And then he does up. this other trick. I feel like I shouldn't even give it away, but I'm going to give it away just to sell you guys on it. At James Corden, he does this thing where he he's talking to the audience and he gives them all like this white piece of foam core and and, draw, and everyone draws a circle on it. And he says, I want you really fast to just like, the first thing that comes to your mind, like draw a picture of it. He's like, you could draw like a Superman symbol. You could draw like a cross. You could draw a mountain. You could draw like a rabbit, whatever. And he shows like, he's like, draw whatever you want. And he's like, and James, you go draw like something and whatever. Make a long story short, every single person drew a star. Every single person in the audience, including what? James Corden. And then he had Alice Eve, you know, the actress. He had her draw something and he he guessed what she was going to draw by drawing it. And it was like the same thing, which was like a hand with two candles next to it. Like it was so random. Um, anyway, this guy is just like so insanely talented. And I just see him on show after show after show. Like there's no camera tricks. There's no anything. He just, like if you rolled a die under the table, like a six-sided die and looked at it, he could tell you what number you see. Anyhow, check him out, Lior Suchard. Sarah, what you got? Um... Mine's going to be like a lot less exciting that's than okay. that. That's the most excited that Orin's ever been. Yeah, last week I, I started watching um, these YouTube videos um, by number file, which are really fun, mm-hmm. and it's just like the way in which I wish Matt math had been taught to me. It's just mm-hmm. a really fun, different videos about um, like strangeness in numbers. Yeah, pH. yeah. Number file, those who like numbers, someone who likes numbers. And it's like um, different um, like set theory and sequence theory and um, shapes that are weird. But every time my mind is blown and then I want to go back to school. Uh, cool. Number file. Sounds great. Cool. Yeah. That's a, that I endorsement like was a little too long. That was also 
I know. And I just feel like you had so much passion and enthusiasm. And then I was like, number five. No, we're going to edit mine down okay. to yeah. be like Jay's podcast. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. If Jay's editing it or Christopher Robert, <laughs> great, is handsome. So, um, Chris is editing. so I've got two. Um, one is um, our friend of the show, Jordan Brady, had um, uh, the Moon Unit. Oh, yeah. A correspondent from the Moon Unit, which is a company that. Um, Helps you write treatments, um, and it's really good. They, they they do really awesome work, and like they do design and layout and all that sort of stuff. But the other thing that's interesting about them is that if you go onto their website, just Google the Moon Moon Unit, um, they'll send you a few like emails that kind of uh, have like uh, decks attached to them that'll break down things like how to give yourself your career more heat or what creative directors are looking for. And so I signed up for their email newsletter. I get it every once in a while, and it's just like a little insightful tip about uh, booking more commercial work. So I totally think it's worth doing, um, and also kind of reminds me of like the things I want to be doing in the commercial space. Um, yeah. So just check out the Moon Unit. And by the way, something that I wish I knew years ago, like I always thought having hiring someone to help you with your treatment would be like yeah, I don't understand thousands that. and, and thousands of dollars. Time, but also, I didn't know you could do that. You know, it yeah. seems that weird. That seems right? weird. That seems like I'll, hiring I'll show you someone some to stuff paint right your painting. after yeah. the yeah. podcast. Really? But uh, yeah, it's kind of awesome. But I used to think it's like I thought that was like the job absurdly expensive. But you can basically pay someone like five hundred bucks a day to either do the layout for you, or to write your treatment for you, or to find images for you, or do all three. Depends how do involved the treatment first is. Give that person a brief, or you literally are like you do it. <laughs> like, um, how does it work? Well, so you have a call with the yeah. agency. Yeah. You, you, the director, get the boards from the agency, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have a call with the agency, and that call is recorded. And they listen to that call, first of all. When I do it, I do all of my own writing, um, and I do like most of my own image pulling. But I've learned to accept the help on the design mm-hmm. right, and the layout and mm-hmm. stuff. And so and the font choice, things like that. They're, it's basically yeah. like designers who have a lot of experience in the world of pitching commercials. Okay. Yeah. Some directors might say it's a comedy spot. Just make it look f- funny. Other people like I, I always say, like, I really like widescreen treatments, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so kind of go extra wide. Mm. This is like a fantasy mystery thing. Let's go dark backgrounds. I really like kind of these colors and. Mm this font and let's do, I like full bleed, you know, where the images go to the edge of the the page. Um, But some, I'm sure, like I was uh, talking to the famous group today, the production company, they said some directors don't like writing them. So we'll bring a copywriter in here to sit with the director and they just like bat around ideas. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've got an old friend actually who writes um, briefs all the time and treatments and like, like has worked with the same directors for their entire careers. This has blown my mind. Right. Yeah, so for like $1,000, I mean $1,000 is a lot of money to spend, but if it is going to get you the job that's making you $20,000 or whatever, and even if you only get one out of three of them, then it it might not be a bad idea. And if it's like a feature and you're trying to get a million dollars and you're just... You they feel do it like for features too. They'll do it for anything. This you can is pitch crazy. a TV show. It actually feels like slightly like cheating. I know cheating and weird and dirty. Yeah, it's not. Um, I th- I've come to I've come to feel like it's not. I felt exactly the same way when I found out about this. I'm just but, processing right now. Yeah, yeah. But take a look. The Moon Unit. Um, yeah. they do great work. And uh, like I said, those emails actually like it's a nice email to receive. Didn't Sarah. you have a second one, or is that? 
Um, so I keep a list of um, just kind of random ideas for for this because uh, I'm not getting a ton of cultural input lately. Um, but one recommendation that I have, or made me say it, um, so I just started a new job at a new building, and um, you know, I always say the first day you're trying to like figure out where the printer is and like who does what and like where's my office and that sort of stuff. And um, a thing that I wish that people would tell you. And I wish I had the courage to ask: Is uh, where the poop bathroom is? Is there a separate bathroom? For Oftentimes, pooping? there is a. This is a theory Matt is devised. It's not a truism. What he's about to say, just it, telling you. If you it, is it but, bad that I just like poop in any bathroom? No, so I'd poop in your bathroom right now, Orin, if I had to. What well, I'm saying thank is, <laughs> I poop with your daughter sleeping in the next room, your baby daughter. Yeah, you don't want to see where she's pooped in, this in house. like a office environment. You know, there's a situation where there's the high traffic, high volume. Um, bathroom that's kind of in the middle of the office and then like you know if somebody poops in that bathroom it stinks up the whole place and like they're like oh boy jerry always takes a dump after coffee or whatever right and so in a big office building there'll be one that's less trafficked where you can like take your time and you know maybe there's always toilet paper or whatever everyone who works in the office knows which is the poop bathroom. And is it weird that everyone knows when you walk to that bathroom, everyone's like, they're going to go take a yeah, shit? Yeah. Like, uh, do, you, does no. it, do you feel like everyone knows you're shitting? I've, I've worked in many corporate places. I've never heard of this concept before. So Then you are missing out, my friend. I will say this. There's an episode of Detroit of Detroiters, one of my favorite shows, where they all they like they take a little basket. It's a plot point in the show. They take the basket. They say, see you later. They hop in the elevator. They go up to the the uh, empty floor above them that hasn't been taken out, and then they go poop up there, and then they come back down. And then what's in the basket? Oh, just like you know, like magazines, um, magazines, and like <laughs> you're gonna you know, hand sanitizer or whatever. Uh, <laughs> well, n- tomorrow then, when you go to the office, and it's a, it is a travesty when a startup moves into that floor, and they're like, "What are we gonna do now?" That is the plot of an episode of a television show, so it's okay. not that crazy. I told it to my friend who works in a hospital. She said the lobby is always the poop bathroom. Because that's not as high traffic. Well, that's okay. where you can blame the patients. You know? I'm learning sure. a lot tonight. Yeah, yeah. When you go to the office, I think if you wink when you ask where the bathroom is, they'll tell you the poop bathroom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well. If you guys have any feedback, uh, want to drop us a line or just shoot it pod at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at just shoot it pod. Are you on any of these? Yeah, where, where can people follow you best? Uh, maybe Instagram. Yeah. Occasional. Okay. It's just my name. There's nothing creative about it. Sarah Dina Smith. All, all three names. Cool. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Smitey Pileg. And I'm at Mr. Matt Enlo. You can follow us on all social media at Just Shoot It Pod. Visit us uh, at JustShootItPod.com for all of the stuff that we talked about, show notes, unpaid endorsements, etc. Scriptments. Scriptments. This episode was edited by Christopher Robert Gray. Our producer is Madeline Rosewatt. Our webmaster is Ewan Williams. The music you're listening to right now was by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.